0: I'm Stefan Sittig and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew members, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press Donate. My guest today is Madeline Michael, who has been teaching English, math, and theater since 1980. Originally from New York, her philosophy of education was shaped in Baltimore City, where she discovered that good teachers should always be learning from their students. Her driving passion is student agency, which takes the form of student-led playwriting, choreography, direction, and design. Michael has guided her students to create moving theater works dealing with police brutality, racism, discrimination, racial profiling, and gentrification. She shares her 2019 Tony Excellence in Education Award with her students at Monticello High School in Charlottesville, Virginia, who are the true award winners. Hi, Madeline.
1: Hello, Stefan.
0: How are you?
1: I'm great. Just, uh, just spending the weekend gardening and whatever you do during a pandemic.
0: Oh, I know, right? It's tough during this, these times for us theater folk.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so, where are you speaking to us from?
1: Uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. Oh, wonderful.
0: And that's where you teach, right? In Charlottesville?
1: Yeah. I teach at Monticello High School in Charlottesville, Virginia. But my students have decided that they want to change the name from Monticello High School to Sally Hemings High School.
0: Oh, wow. How exciting. <laughs> we'll
1: see, is we'll see that, how far they get.
0: And so, is that something they're going to raise with the administration?
1: I, I don't know how they're going to do this. I'm letting them have their their agency and do their thing. Let's well, just put it that
0: way. Let's talk about what you just said about letting them have their agency, because that is something that I've right. noticed as I was researching your work here for um, your interview today on American Theatre Artists Online. Um Tell us a bit about what you do exactly. For those that are listening in and have heard the intro but want to know more, what is it that you do with theater and teaching? Because you just said something about agency that I think is so crucial to what you do. Tell us about what you do and where you do it.
1: Okay, well, honestly, I think, okay, I, like, sort of like the linchpin of my whole program is student leadership. And I don't mean the kind of leadership of, like, I'm the treasurer of the club or whatever. We don't really have any clubs or whatever. Um, I mean leadership like you're the choreographer of this show. Um, You're the vocal instructor of this show. Mm. And um, that sort of thing. And I think part of it, to be honest, is the fact that I unlike most of my colleagues, maybe all of my colleagues don't have a theater background. I mean, I was in plays in high school, but I don't, I never took a theater class. I did take one theater class in college, but I dropped it after a week. Mm. Um, hmm. And so because I didn't know anything, like honestly, because I didn't know anything, I had no other choice, but to look for my, to my students for help. Wow, and I think that was really kind of, it was great.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's wonderful for them, right? Because so little, it's so, it's so rare that students, they have so little opportunity to do that usually. Because usually, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, usually the teacher is guiding, uh, you know, is setting everything and, and the, the, the students don't right. have a lot of independence, but in your case, it's different, right? You do it differently. How is it that you teach theater?
1: Um, okay, ver- probably very differently from how most people teach theater, mm-hmm. because um, hmm, I spent the first 10 years of my teaching career in Baltimore, Maryland, yeah. at Frederick Douglass High School and Northwestern High School, and... Um, and I think what I learned there, I learned so much there and it shaped me completely. If I hadn't had that experience, I don't know what kind of a teacher I would be.
0: How so? Um, How did it shape you? What do you mean?
1: Well, you know, to be honest, they were the most horribly unfunded schools you could imagine. Oh, yeah. And there were way too many students in every class. There were no books. There like um, I'm pretty sure they still don't have like one-to-one computers or anything like that mm. um, I had kids who didn't even have chairs you know who were sitting up on the radiators and, wow. and um, you know re- like students from the poorest sections of Baltimore sure. and um, you know it just made me realize because I had grown up you know in privilege I grew up in a you know upper middle class Jewish household in New York and it made me realize that You know, public education is full of so much inequity. And that shaped me to want to tell real stories of real people and to realize that my students' stories are so much more interesting than any of the plays or books that I had them read. Hmm. And so, I don't know, we started by... Them telling stories. I was an English teacher then. I wasn't a, a drama teacher. Okay. I was really an English teacher. Well, there, and
0: there, I there's a connection there. I mean, English and drama yeah, are often, there
1: definitely is. Yeah. Um, but but um, but anyway, yeah. Hearing people's stories. I mean, if I hadn't if I hadn't lived that for ten years, I would not be the same person. Yeah. So hearing other people's stories. It, um, it just it broadens you. It, ma- it makes life richer. Absolutely. And so that's what led me um, eventually to, I don't know how, I got into theater by way of um, National History Day. I was a National History Day coach. Mm-hmm. And we chose like the performance um, part of it. Hmm. And, um, and then a principal, I, we kept winning gold medals and a principal came to me and said, Hey, since you do performance and you seem to be pretty good at it, do you want to teach a theater class here?
0: Hmm.
1: And so I went in, I saw that I had two theater classes and it was about 17 In each class was about 17 kids and it was almost all girls and all white. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking, this doesn't look like the rest of the school, So this, what am I going to do to turn this around? Because this doesn't feel like a really rich experience.
0: Right. It's not diverse enough. Right.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I just spent, I guess the first four or five years trying to see, like, what were we doing wrong? What was the person before me doing wrong? And, um, maybe it had to do with the fact that, um, Like before I came into this position, it was sort of like worksheet run and Mm -hmm. theater history run and like all the things that I would have been really bored with when I was in high school.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, you know, there does tend to be sometimes in some high schools over time, there's been an approach to teaching uh, theater that is very sort of uh, in a way anathema to what theater is. It's almost like you're sitting there and you're reading a play or you're doing and everything's sort of, it's a little elitist and maybe that's, well, that's it's why. also
1: really boring. Like, right. okay. So a good. A good teacher of anything should be able to know how to read a room. You know what I mean? Yeah. You read the room, you look around, who's bored, <laughs> who's looking at their phone, right? Um, who's yawning, who's, you know, whatever. And, um, And so reading a room is really important. I spent a little time trying to be a a stand-up comic when I graduated from college in in Boston. Mm -hmm. And I failed so spectacularly (laughs) at it because it's so difficult to read a room and to keep people engaged. So I thought, okay, teaching is something I think I could do because I'm good enough at reading a room Mm -hmm. and um so yeah so I go into like honestly it's very simple I go into my class every day trying to like I don't know bring some joy and make everybody um I don't know give it get some energy going Mm -hmm. and the students laughing and smiling and I'm just so grateful like they're they, make, they put so much joy into my life. And I've, honestly, I feel like I, they teach me so much more than I could teach them.
0: Right, and instead of imposing on them, right, something that is sort of yeah. the traditional, this is what you should learn, these are the plays you right. should read, uh, this is the canon, so to speak, that's been passed on for generations. Instead, you're saying to them, tell me your stories.
1: Yeah, what, do you want? what, what interests you? And if, if you're bored tell me why you're bored and let's just change it up. Let's not, let's not do this.
0: Which is of course how you create playwrights, right? That's how you create playwrights. Write about what you know.
1: Yes. And that's my favorite thing to do is playwriting with the students. And, um, my absolute favorite thing to do, because every single year for the last, I'm going to say 10 years, Mm -hmm. we've been, um, going to these play competitions which I, I I feel like that's an oxymoron right there because I really don't think that theater should be a competitive thing right uh, but this is America and everything's got to be a competition yeah.
0: right? right well just writing uh, writing the piece is 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 the competition just writing it and getting it yes. Right. and
1: and the, oh my gosh the kids have so much to say and they all have such fascinating stories mm-hmm. I mean I have kids from all different countries whose parents came here. Um, I have kids who are oh my gosh! I have kids who have like one of one of my girls wrote a story about her own family's um, eviction from a neighborhood in um, the gentrification of Charlottesville. Oh wow! And that that was really fascinating Hmm. um, because it was her story.
0: Right. And it, that's, you know, there are plays about that, that you could study, yeah. whether, you know, it's Raisin in the Sun or Clyburn Park, but it's much more interesting if the student could write a new play, right? I mean, that's what we yeah, need.
1: Um, great. It's great.
0: <laughs> that's so great. I mean, so do you have, I mean, we're, we're going to talk more in just a bit about your students and their plays, because I want to dive deeper into some of these plays yeah. that you've talked to me about in the past and and they're so fascinating. But um, do you have a a special method or stuff? So when you get into the classroom, is there a way that you sort of workshop these ideas or is it, um, you know, do you, how do you guide the students into getting this this out of them?
1: Um, I don't, I always start, I always start um, by asking questions. Like we, uh, we challenge each other with like crazy questions. Like you can ask the most ridiculous question in the world. Like you have to change your name right now for the rest of your life. What name are you going to choose? You have to write the, uh, somebody's going to write your biography right now. What's the title going to be? You know, just questions like that, that they ask each other. And we sort of, um, I don't know, we laugh about them. We talk about them. And that's kind of where it all begins with that level of comfort a sense of being able to trust your community.
0: Right. And then they start to share stories. Is that what happens? Yeah. Oh. yeah they
1: start to share stories. Um, we, you know, I give them uh, little prompts sometimes like, um, I might say, okay, uh, we're going to write a scene. You're going to be in this group. Uh, and you're going to write a scene about the, um, the absolute worst experience you've ever had in school. Mm. And everybody has an idea about that <laughs> sure. because everybody had a terrible experience.
0: Yeah, especially at that age. Yeah, that's what they're yeah thinking about.
1: So yeah. So or like you know we'll do satire, like satire the satirize the type of person that just like makes your hair stand on end. <laughs> and so they, you know, they've learned never you never use anybody's names. You never like you know personally attack anyone, but you know, and satire always punches up. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we learn the rules of what makes good satire and um, and what's what's okay to satirize and what's not okay to satirize. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about that.
0: So you're teaching them a bit of style and style elements, but and then how do you develop that into a longer piece? So you, they start writing with scenes. Is that how it is in exercises?
1: Okay. So we start writing with scenes but then what I do is I usually work over the summer to be honest mm-hmm. a lot of the plays come out of little scenes that we do during the year but then the people who are really interested in playwriting we start meeting in in maybe May April or May after school mm-hmm. and then um, and then over the summer before COVID uh, we would meet downtown and we would all have lunch together and you know mm-hmm. uh, work out different different scenes and, you know, edit everybody. There usually is one, maybe two. It's usually one really um, like playwright in charge. And then everybody else kind of edits and puts in suggestions.
0: It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of, it's like a foundry. I mean, you really playwriting is a lot of editing and rewrites,
1: but it's so much fun. It's my favorite thing to do. And I've been trying to do it over the summer, this summer, um, but it's been a little bit difficult because we can't, I do have a playwriting group going this summer, but yeah. I've decided that since we're not going to have a forum to do an actual one-act play, yeah. we're doing things a little bit differently. We're doing like smaller monologue pieces and short scenes and sort of putting them together in some kind of like, uh, you know, melange of uh, a potpourri of, of sorts. But, mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't like, to, I'm not a big fan of those Zoom plays. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, Zoom.
0: yes it's been sort of what people are doing now. I mean, well, you know, yeah. we have limited limited venues, but, I guess, at the moment.
1: But, it just makes me kind of want to cry when I see it.
0: <laughs> I know. So obviously the experience of live theater and feeling that, you know, like you said earlier, reading the room, you know, that's a big part of theater. And so it sounds like you're very attuned to that. And so the audience, actor, interaction and the playwright writes for the audience and the actors so that's something and talk to me more about this playwriting uh focus because you know it's so rare that you hear about high schoolers having a chance to do playwriting because usually it's college before you start to look at playwriting you know specifically so um so do I mean do you have a specific separate does the the school allow you to have a separate playwriting course or does it have to be part of your job No
1: I worked it into all my classes but honestly I think part of it comes from being an English teacher and yeah. also a writer I've I've yeah. always been a good writer I yeah. love to write and um and I feel that I'm really good at sort of guiding them yeah. cuz you know kids they they don't know how to structure a play, and they don't know um, like you you really do have to kind of hold their hand through it, mm-hmm. and um, and then sort of read the room. Like one of the cool things that we do is we read it. Um, we have like a little little table reads of short scenes, and then and other people are just listening, and then they give some feedback of what what they get and what they don't get. Mm. And uh, I don't know. It's just. It's, the other cool thing about it is that it gives them opportunities. I've had kids, you know, win scholarships because of their playwriting. I've had them um, win, like one of my students won a um, a summer. He got to go to this really great summer playwriting program at Spark in Richmond. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's just so many so many opportunities. Another student um, was able to go to. Um, to work at UVA and do a summer history project at the Carter G. Woodson Center. Wow. And a lot of that, you know, those opportunities come because not only of the publicity of these kids' plays, but also the confidence. It's really all about their confidence because once kids feel like they have a great story to tell and that they have something to contribute to a community, they're, you know, they're, They're on their way.
0: Right, and part of also what you're doing is building the future generation of playwrights because without the playwrights and without the stories, we can't have a diversity in theater. If everyone writing plays is white and male, then we can't really have those stories. So it has to start with the stories being told. Oh my gosh, I have to tell you about um, C.J.
1: Grooms who wrote the play Necessary Trouble. I think that this that is was a student yes Universe. and she is now um finishing in december she goes to george mason yeah. and she's in the honors program and she's um she's a black woman and she's um she's in the screen playwriting and screenwriting program there
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she definitely would never have done that. I just got a note from her the other day that said like, thank you so much for introducing me to this um, form of art. And um, she is a really brilliant girl with such a story to tell. And she, she came to me back in, I guess it was 2016. She was really upset because we have a very diverse population at, um, at our school. Part of it is very much um, country kids and a lot of these country kids where um, in the past have worn like big uh, Confederate flags and have huge Confederate flags on their trucks. And um, this was bothering her so much. Mm -hmm. And she had gotten into too many arguments with kids over, you know, wearing this paraphernalia. So finally she said, um, I said, like, you know what, this is a great story. Why don't you make this into a story, make this into a play? So she wound up um, doing a little research into, into Congressman John Lewis and what he called good trouble, necessary trouble. Yes. And she wrote a play called Necessary Trouble. Uh-huh. And it was about, it was her story of being in a classroom and having an argument with this white guy about who was who took his jacket off and had a huge confederate flag underneath Mm. and the whole play was sort of a debate that went on in the classroom and then it and then another scene was um this girl talking to the principal and learning how to um it asked the question what let me put this right it asked the question how do you protest like what is necessary trouble? And how far do you go as a student to protest something that you see as inequitable in your school? Yeah. And, my, and, and it helped, it so helped the other students because we talked about that. And I really believe in protest. I really believe in the efficacy of, of questioning everything. Yes. Like, question me. I want my students to question me <laughs> when I tell them something, when I teach them something. Question me, right? You know, you have to question adults who tell you things sure. because, like, so many adults taught me such so many lies when I was in high school. Oh, it's interesting. And,
0: yeah, well, uh, you know, our generation, you know, us those of us who had teachers who were, you know, silent generation or older, maybe not boomers. Um, we were kind of taught that way, right? We were taught, just do what you're told and shut up and listen to right. your elders. There's, there was that, and you never right. crossed that line. But now right. you, you are obviously the teacher for this generation because they need teachers like you who allow them to express their ideas and to, to question, as you said, because that's the dialogue they're craving too, right?
1: Well, honestly, I definitely had parents who, um, who encouraged me to question authority always yes,
0: me too important.
1: So, uh, my parents were the ones who would always say um you know you don't have to stay if you don't want to stand up for the pledge of allegiance you don't, don't have up. to
0: right and that's what but, creates no. <laughs> the leaders that's what creates leaders of tomorrow also
1: and uh, and so i did hmm. always ask my my teacher's questions, and I probably wasn't the most beloved student in my school (laughs) by the teachers. I think a lot of teachers did not like me very much, and probably a lot of teachers still don't like me. Uh <laughs> but yeah. I really encourage that because we, as adults, we shouldn't be afraid of answering difficult questions.
0: And that's what like, theater that does yeah. yeah, theater and is.
1: If we can yeah. answer it. Like yeah. if we can't, if we don't have a good answer to really valid questions that kids are asking us, then we better go find out.
0: Mm. Nice. So that's where the that and, and that dialogue between um, you know this the student and the teacher is so crucial. Because that's how you're able to, to give them a space, right? To do something like CJ uh, working on, you know, necessary trouble. Uh, yeah. So she, could, she had the space to create that play. And is she thinking about it now with the recent passing of, of Congressman John Lewis, um, that phrase has sort of been, you know, thrown about a lot, you know, now recently because of his passing. That's interesting. So she wrote, she was writing about it, you know, four years ago. Yup. She was writing about, like, my students have been
1: setting the bar. I feel like they've been ahead of the curve. And I think so many kids could be if we just allowed them more room and more freedom. Like, I just remember sitting in, I took a lot of dramatic literature in college. I didn't take theater classes, but I read a lot of plays. Mm -hmm. And I remember not understanding why this was important or why I was reading this, like Mm. having absolutely no um, connection to some of the things that I was reading and and also reading Shakespeare's comedies and thinking like, I'm not laughing. (laughs) Why is this not at all funny to me? This just doesn't feel funny at all. Right. And so I decided that I was going to, I was going to make my theater program bigger than 17 white girls. And to do that, um, how do I put this? To do that, you have to make people feel comfortable in a space. Mm -hmm. And you have to let kids, you have to let kids lead with what they feel confident with. So if one kid is a really good um, hip hop dancer and another kid can do backflips and a third kid does Bollywood dance, and another kid does stand-up comedy, let them lead in whatever their skill is, and everybody then sort of looks up to them, and then they get a place in that community, and it makes the community so much richer.
0: Absolutely. You're drawing on their skills and doing an inventory of what they're already comfortable with, and then they can grow from there. And And they they can
1: teach everybody else. Teach each other, right.
0: That's the true diversity. When people talk about diversity, you know, I'm always I always get a little, uh, you know, ruffled under the feathers because people yeah. say diversity and they're basically just bean counting. And what they're doing is just putting, you know, say, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do a raisin in the sun. That's diversity. Is it, you know, what's really diversity yeah. is what you're doing, which is getting the stories from your students directly and making the plays and making the theater about uh, themes that are important to them.
1: Well the other thing is when you choose a play like Raisin in the Sun then you have to go out or say like The Crucible. Yeah. Say you're Google teacher who like I want to do The Crucible and then you have to go out and find yourself someone to play Tituba, right? Oh uh, yeah. Like people people know. Kids know when they're being tokenized. Yeah. You know? no and you know you have to want them just because you want them not because you need someone to play seaweed stubs in hairspray
0: right yeah no no and that's so, why you avoid all that by really when you focus on them telling the stories and them writing the stories then you know they can tell. and, also the,
1: picking, and then they can pick the shows they yeah. can look at different musicals and say like you know, what do you want to choreograph? Mm. Find me, listen to these 10 musicals and t- which one appeals to you to be the choreographer? Mm. Um, the other thing I was going to say is last year, I have these two, um, two girls uh, with an Indian background and um, one of them wrote a play called My Kahani, which means, um, which means my story in Punjabi. Mm. And he wrote the play sort of half in Punjabi Was really really interesting. Wow! And um, and what they did, we we took it to VTA, and they led these two girls led a workshop in Bollywood dance. Oh, fun! And and everyone had so much fun. Wait, you're a choreographer, right?
0: Yes, that's what I do, and I I direct and choreograph. But yes, and so exactly what you're saying, you know, I do a lot of that too with my students, which is and with my students, but also with my um, you know cast whenever I do a show. I borrow from what they can do all the time. I do what I call an inventory of skills, because you know, I'm a choreographer, but I'm one person. I mean, there's only so many things I can do in my repertoire, right? But. In my head, I have all these ideas, and I can't do them myself. But if I've got someone in the cast who can bring something, whether it's Bollywood moment or a hip hop moment or something yeah. that's different, why not? Right? I mean, if it fits that, within that's that. That's I feel. Yeah, and so talk. So necessary trouble by C J Grooms. I'm going to say her name yeah. as much as I can because I'd love to interview her uh, soon too. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, oh, she-
1: so good. And she's so like wow, she's amazing. And then there's um,
0: another one that I, another play that I thought that you guys had put together that that called you know really grabbed my attention. But t- if you could tell us more about called a King's Story.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, a King's Story was written by Joshua St. Hill, and he is someone you definitely should talk to. He is now, I guess, 19. He graduated um, a couple of years ago. He he's a hip hop artist and a basketball player. Oh wow! And and a very very charismatic guy with like just unlimited charm and sweetness about him. Okay, yeah. and you know raised by two of the most wonderful people in the world. So this guy um, Josh, he I brought him in. And he was really just a he wanted to play basketball and run track mm-hmm. because he was really good at both, but. I, that year we were doing In the Heights. Yeah. And he came to a couple of, he came to a bunch of rehearsals from the year before when we did the show Memphis. Yeah. And he started thinking about, you know, I should be performing. I could be performing. And then when he heard the soundtrack to In the Heights and the fact that it was all written in, in rap, mm-hmm. he was like, okay, I'm get, I can be Usnavi so um, that started it yeah so he so in 10th grade he played his snobby and was amazing at it Um, but then we talked a lot he and I used to talk about all kinds of things because he's very interested in politics and um, he we were talking about police brutality he was very very interested in Black Lives Matter before it became like kind of trendy for people to talk about like he he started thinking about this from the time he was young because it's something that young black men have to think about they have no choice right you know right in their face all the time yeah so he was um, he wanted to write something about police brutality and started writing this play and all of a sudden in the middle of our of everything our writing um, August 12th happened. Um, and Heather Heyer was murdered. In Charlottesville, and,
0: in Charlottesville, in Charlottesville, Virginia, at the downtown yeah. mall. Yeah, that was the, yes. the there was, um, I, I don't know how to, I would call it a neo-Nazi racist yeah. march yes. on, on, the camp, yes. on the grounds of the university that went into yep. this, the city, the downtown as well.
1: Yes. And one of the students in my class, actually, whose name I will not mention, but she was hit by the car and injured very badly. Oh, jeez and um so this was very personal sure. like this became very very personal so he sort of um he decided to root this story a king story about a, it's about a guy who um who's killed by by police brutality mm. a black man and um and he sort of rooted it against the backdrop of Charlottesville. And he showed the media. It was so interesting the way he did this play, because he um, he showed the media reports and the whole, like, oh, both sides. You know, remember there was, um, like, tr- remember Donald Trump said uh, there are fine people on both sides? Yes, how could so, we
0: forget? Yes.
1: How could we forget? <laughs> oh. So um, he he showed the media sort of like the dichotomy in the media coverage. Hmm. He showed, um, he asked the question, again, asked the question of, you know, uh, what do we feel responsible for? Like there was, um, in the play, there's a conversation between an older black man and this young guy who's mourning his friend, and the older black man scolds him and says, like, pull up your pants, take off your headphones, take off, your, put your hoodie down, mm. you're going to be the next victim. Mm. And, you know, and the young guy says, oh, I have to change the way I dress and the way I talk and the way I move, because I'm afraid of being, you know, shot by the police. And so. Th- this becomes a really, I mean, it's such an interesting story, and it's got so many layers to it. And Right, um, so it's
0: not just a story for white people to listen to. It's a story for, it's an intergenerational story oh, for, it's, for it's, people it's, of color. It's
1: really a brilliant story, and I will say that there was one person, there was one man whose name I won't mention in our school system who did not like the bad language. We, mm-hmm. I think Josh said, um, we used the word bullshit a mm-hmm. couple of times in yeah. there. And he said, you know, that that distracts from it, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, one thing that kids know about real dialogue, um, like if it doesn't sound right to kids, it throws off the whole authenticity of a piece.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So Josh used authentic language, and it was beautiful. Like it was such a beautifully written play. And this guy then went on to UVA. Mm. He spent a year at UVA, but now he's transferring – to VCU to be in their um, filmmaking, oh. uh, filmmaking uh, yeah. uh, department Wow. because I think he has decided that he wants to continue telling stories and wants to do it through film.
0: Wow, and yeah, and the, the chance to reach uh, a lot of people through film – it, you know, yeah. it's probably more people and it's it's a little bit more of a, the you know, and, and a lot of what you're doing, though, Madeline, is so fantastic because you are creating writers, you are creating playwrights, storytellers, which is precisely what we need for this next generation to be able to, to, to tell more diverse stories.
1: Well, you know, it's sort of like, how do I put it? I'm, be, I'm doing it selfishly because, <laughs> I mean, I don't really sort of want to take too much credit because... I'm doing it selfishly because, first of all, that's what I'm interested in. Right. Like I'm, I'm not interested in seeing a doll's house or reading it one more time. Right. Uh, I'm. <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah, I, I can't. That. Yeah. So. Um, well, they I, had their.
0: They those plays had their time, and yeah, they had their no, time and, in the spotlight. But if you so it's okay. Read
1: them, great. Right. But if I want to have an enrollment of more than three kids, <laughs> I, you know, I have to do something that means something to, to everyone. Yeah. And, um, no, that's great. so, so just, just giving them space. Like, it's amazing. These kids are so brilliant that all I have to do is give them a little bit of space mm-hmm. and they just take over.
0: Well, it's like, very, I, it's I, very clear. I
1: had kids run workshops in my classroom on things like, um, uh, like political things on, um, I had a kid run a workshop on, um, uh, like, uh, ecology and the environment mm-hmm. they know so much about so many things so absolutely. you know if you just let their passions rule
0: right and if you let them you know that's why you say that you're guiding them just to find the topics the 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 history that they want to talk about what are their experiences and that's really ultimately what playwriting should and is you know what should be and is right it's telling your story absolutely and so you know this passion that you have for your students and 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 this care that you have for them is so clear because, you know, I was watching your Tony. So in 2019, you won the Tony Award for Excellence in Teaching, right? And I was listening to your acceptance speech. And if anyone out there listening should go look it up to listen to your acceptance speech because it's one of the most interesting and um, moving Tony acceptance speeches that I've ever heard because you list the names Of some of you highlight some of your students and their experience, which is precisely what you're trying to do through the theater.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's great. uh, (laughs) I have to say that I won the Tony Award because of a student of mine named Luca Huff. I've got to call him out because he is. he made a three-minute in order to someone nominated me for it and i realized after they nominated me that it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. like there's so much you have to do so he made a three-minute film and i just kind of gave him carte blanche i said like just make a three-minute film that captures what we do and he was in 10th grade and he
0: Yes, I've that seen it.
1: I it's, yeah, I saw the film and as well.
0: You can find it on YouTube if you search for it.
1: And, and I was like, Luca, mm-hmm. you and so and this is interesting because he also wants to be a filmmaker, and I have no doubt that this kid is going to be a filmmaker. Wow. Um, he's a senior now, wow. but um, but like like I said, I didn't get there by myself. It really does belong to the students. That award belongs to the students in every imaginable sense.
0: Yeah, well, and it's very clear from your acceptance speech that you feel that way. And, you know, what was the experience of the Tonys like? I mean, I've never been to the Tony <laughs> Tony Awards. That must have been quite like, you know, did it, it feel was surreal? So,
1: oh, my gosh. It was so much fun and everyone was so kind. Yeah. And I remember, um, well, Karen Olivo was one of the people that was on stage, like, announcing my award. And, and she has a special um, a special place in our department because... She she skyped with my students when we did our first production in 2013 mm. of In the Heights because oh, wow. she was on Broadway as uh, Vanessa. Vanessa, yeah. She's just like a loving, generous, kind, wonderful, humble person. So it was great to have her there, and um, and then. When I gave my speech, I didn't realize there were going to be like 6,000 people there. I mm. had no idea. <laughs> right. So I, I was a little bit, I was a little bit scared. Um, but then all these people came up to me afterwards, like really nice people like um, Samira Wiley.
0: Yeah. Oh, um, God, I love her. Orange, She's pretty great. black yeah.
1: and... and um, What's that other one with the, the hoods? Oh, I can't think of it right now.
0: But, uh, but Samira is great, and Karen, those Cara are beautiful. Wiley
1: great. was so nice. Oh my uh-huh. gosh, she's beautiful and nice and kind. Laura Linney was uh-huh. so nice. Brian Cranston. I mean, there were a lot of people there who came up to me and said, you know, it was really funny. They treated me like I was a military hero. (laughs) So all the people were like, oh, thank you for your service. I was
0: like, you, you (laughs) Madeline, you have to realize that for most theater people, their love for this craft, for this thing that they do and have been doing maybe, in this case, the people that you just mentioned for 40, 50 years or their career started most likely with the spark of a high school theater teacher who inspired them.
1: Which I definitely never had.
0: Right. So you're doing that now for all of your (laughs) students. You know, we all have our, our Miss Michael. We all have our, you know, mine was Laura. Laura (laughs) Yeah. And so we all have, we, I'm pretty sure any person who does theater and who, who started in theater in high school can tell you of a teacher that was the inspiration. We all have those inspirations and that, you know, so you are now that person for thousands of students at this point. I mean, how long have you been teaching at Monticello? Uh,
1: Probably like 13, 15 years at Monticello, something like that.
0: Wow. And so are you enjoying watching, it sounds like you are, I'm sure you are, watching your students branch out for where they go. I mean, you've already shared some of it, but um, watching them grow up and be adults in the theater world or in the performing arts or in whatever other profession they choose and carrying that experience with them?
1: Yes, I love it. I, uh, they're they're changing the world in so many ways, and I love it when they just do things like they go to college and then join a dance team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, join something, join an improv team or whatever. You don't have to major in theater. I don't. You know, most of my kids don't want to major in theater, and mm. and that's totally fine. Um, but I just love it that they have the confidence to, you know, give a TED talk or whatever it is, do a presentation.
0: Right, because so. have those skills.
1: Yeah, because like theater skills are transferable to everything.
0: Right. And that's something that so many high school administrators have yet to understand and have yet to grasp. And I'm waiting for when they're going to grasp it. And maybe it takes teachers like you to show them because um, as myself, you know, a lot of us have uh, careers that are not just about theater. I have a good friend who was a theater major, you know, I love theater in high school, major in college. And now he's a, you know, he's a journalist. You know, right. you can use your, your theater training in a, a myriad of ways. And yeah. you just would think that theater would be required at every high school in America.
1: Yes, yeah, Some kind of presentation skills, yeah. um, some kind of like building of confidence. I just, you know, I think about this boy, Thaddeus Lane, who's, I guess he's about 20 now. And when he came into my room He was he was a basketball player, very tall, really skilled basketball player and athlete. And one of the girls in my class, Atalia, made him sing for me. Mm. She pulled in and she forced him to sing. And now this kid is in all of the community theater here and he's writing his own music and putting it out on the Internet. Mm. And, you know, it's just sometimes you have to. They have to be forced by their peers to do it, but they discover something inside themselves that they wouldn't have discovered anywhere else.
0: And, you know, and that's why what you do is so important because you're bringing that out in them. And so the, the, the Tony Award was not just about, um, you know, celebrating you and your students, but it was also, um, it, it brought some, some um, you know, visibility to your program, but also some financial assistance, Right.
1: Yes! Oh my gosh! Carnegie Mellon University. I love those people. Yes, they sponsored. Um, and so they they um, they sponsor it. So they sent three people to my school this fall. Thank God it was mm. before the pandemic. Mm. They sent um, two wonderful professors, Catherine Moore and um, Tomei Cousin. Um, Tomei Cousin is a choreographer and dancer, mm-hmm. and um, Catherine Moore did work with like movement and. Um, and uh, like space on stage. And then this wonderful guy who was on Broadway, oh my gosh, John Clay Third! Mm. he came and he's like young and tall and good looking and charming. And the kids, they, they all like hung on his every word. Wow. And he sang for us and he talked to us about, you know, what, what his journey was to get to Broadway. He was in um, choir, choir Boy.
0: Yes, and, yes, and he was part of the presentation when you received the Tony, I remember he was.
1: Yes, uh, he was, wearing a beautiful jacket. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Such a great guy. And so such what,
0: those are great experiences for your students yeah. and, and, and for your program. So um, you talked a little bit about um, COVID-19 and the pandemic and how it's, you know, obviously um, for all of us that work in the theater, whether we teach theater or whether we're on stage or, uh, you know, in any capacity, we've, we've suffered a bit from having to be away from our people. You know, we can't be close to each other and our audiences. But um, how are you envisioning the fall then? How is that going to work for you guys at Monticello High? Are you teaching online? You know, I teach at George Mason, so a theater, so I also am struggling a bit with how you teach theater oh, you online. Te- George
1: Mason. Yes,
0: I'm t i teach oh, uh, stage combat so you know Yeah, I teach I stage not? combat and, and movement in musical theater. But again no. things that are really hard okay. to teach. Right? So at
1: some point you and I need to have a conversation. Absolutely. Conversation.
0: Yes, anytime. Okay. But so uh-huh. how are how are you teaching online in the fall? How do you transfer okay. adapt what you're gonna do?
1: Uh, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. This I'm actually very angry about it. I'm angry. So? I mean, I think it's great that we're doing um, online teaching because I don't want anybody to be um, to be exposed to this horrible virus. Mm-hmm. I think that our superintendent and our school board made the absolute right decision. Okay, I'm angry because our national response has been so tragically flawed. Yes, and I feel like we could have been back to school by now. Yes, and and it could have been it could have been so different and my my students are angry and they should be angry yes. they should be fuming mad they
0: deserve better absolutely
1: they deserve way better and there are some this countries that are
0: going desperate. back there there are countries that are going back to school um right now in august and september because they have managed to keep the pandemic you know under control with a strong national leadership and government oh
1: my gosh we have wasted the last yeah. Five months with our, our selfishness and our poor leadership. Absolutely. And every time I go near a store, I have to fight with somebody about, like, put on your mask.
0: <laughs> there should be a theater piece. That's what you guys can work on. You can work oh on my a God. theater I piece. I
1: would do that except for the fact that it's probably being done by everybody. But we have an idea. My kids have an idea. I won't say much, Ooh. except I will say that they uh, they all have an idea of what to do for the fall. I so also- what would to do? I don't know, okay, let me just tell you this because yes. this is unusual. I don't I don't sequence my classes. Like all my classes are drama one to four, open to ninth to 12th graders. I used to have like a drama one, drama two, drama three, drama four, but not only did it not, it didn't work well for kids' schedules mm. because if they couldn't fit this particular block in, then what were they gonna do? But also, um, I like classes to be about mentorship and the, um, the opposite of like, I don't like to be a gatekeeper at all. I see. And I feel like the rest of our, um, the rest of our educational system is so stratified into you know, um, your AP and your regular and your academic and your right. honors. So I just do like, you come into my class Ninth graders meet 12th graders. They learn from them. Mm. They establish friendships with them. Nice. And it's just great. It's so, I would never do it any other way now. Well, you're not so,
0: building some sort of artificial caste system, which is sort of how right. the educational system is set up at the moment. You know, we're still using a, a high school education model from like pre-World War II. I mean, we've yeah. not changed at all. The way we teach them so what what you're doing is crucial to kind of break down some of those barriers
1: And why should newbies be with people who have had experience
0: i know that's how you learn now how do you (laughs) how do you um plan on teaching online i mean would you so you'll still be doing these classes but would you be doing virtually
1: yes we'll be doing them virtually and you know what i facetime with my students a Mm -hmm. lot and we text a lot i keep in touch with them so you're really Um, I saw one of them last night at her mm-hmm. house. Mom oh. invited me over. We kept a social distance and everything, but sure. it made me really sad to see her because I realized how much I miss my students. This is really heartbreaking for all of us. This is—it's terrible. I hear you. Um, I miss mine and too. Teachers are so sad. Teachers want to go back to school. Yes, they want to so badly. I mean, teachers do it because they love what they're doing. Right. So anyway, so, um, so where was I going with this? So you're teaching
0: online in the fall and you're going to, you're you're already used to some of the technologies. So you're going to continue to
1: I get my young friend, David Becker to help me because he's, (laughs) he's like 30 something and he's, he helps me out and he's my friend. And my adopted son, and he's another and, uh,
0: another high school teacher, correct? In yeah, Charlottesville, he area. teaches
1: in Charlottesville, yeah. and I yeah, and I work with. I have a really good relationship with all the um, the theater teachers in the area, um, you know, in our county, in our city, and everything, but. And I learned from all of them, honestly. I have stolen from all of them. I've learned, like, if I'm going to steal your thing, I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to steal it.
0: Uh-huh. Well, uh- that's the biggest form of flattery. <laughs> Imitation is the best form of flattery. So, yeah. so with COVID and everything in mind and all that, you know, this I'm hoping, and we're all hoping, this is just a bump in the road, I don't know, but that we'll get past it soon. But with that in there, how would you like to see your program you know, before we wrap up here, I wanted to hear right. from you. How would you like to see your program evolve if you, you know, if you could map it out over the next decade? What would you like okay. from Let's
1: it? To be honest, I just became a grandma.
0: Congratulations.
1: So I'm, yeah, I'm gonna do this a couple, a few more years, maybe three more years, and then I am going to make sure that a really talented person of color takes my job. Oh. Because I think one of the things that we need more of in theater are people of color leading the way for students. Yes. So that's my plan to leave my program in the hands of somebody who um, has the same philosophy that I do, but can go even further with it because about- they're younger, smarter, and whatever.
0: Maybe one of your former students.
1: Yes. Wouldn't oh be nice? Oh my gosh, I'd love to leave CJ or yes, or yes. There's so many students I can think of who could, step in and do this. Especially, um, you know,
0: three or four or five years from now when they will be even more developed, yes. right? They'll have even more under their wing. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. that would be great. Well, Madeline, yeah. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us today at American Theatre Artists Online. It's been wonderful to see all the work that you've been doing with these students and, and how you give them agency, as you say, and that's precisely what you're doing. And you're, you're building the next generation of theatre practitioners and the next generation of theater audiences too
1: oh thank you so
0: thank you so much and we wish you all the best there at your now Monticello high school but maybe soon to be Sally Hemings high school let's see you never
1: know (laughs) maybe there'll be
0: a play about it (laughs) maybe (laughs) there will thank you so much
1: Madeline all righty thanks take care bye bye